Woohoo and yeehaw! <laughs> it is Rare Breeds Month here at Pure Dog Talk. I am super excited. Yeah, baby, yeah! An entire month of cool interviews, amazing insights, low entry breeds, rare breeds, endangered. There's something you don't see every day. Preservation battles rare breed enthusiasts are fighting. The work they're doing may very well apply in your own breed. So I hope you'll join us. This is going to be a lot of fun. Pure Dog Talk is proud to be sponsored by Trepanion, medical insurance for pets. Trepanion understands that veterinary costs can be expensive and hard to budget for, especially when your pet gets unexpectedly sick or injured. And that's why Trepanion is there to help you, and help you when you need it the most, by covering eligible expenses during unexpected veterinary visits. Luckily, Trepanion's able to pay your vet directly. So you'll pay less out of pocket and you won't have to wait for reimbursement. Trupanion also has a free program for breeders that allows you to have peace of mind by sending your litters with a special offer so that folks can try out the insurance. You can learn more about the breeder support program by following the link on my partner page. Be sure to mention Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And I have a super fun show for us today. I am being joined by two amazing breeders from Canada, one on each coast and in radically different breeds. But as part of Pure Dog Talks Rare Breeds Month, we are talking to two of the best known rare breeds people in North America. And that is Amanda Kelly with Manchester Terriers and Don Dealey with Corellian Bear Dogs, and we're going to get to even touch a little bit on Buhan. So I'm really excited to have you ladies join me. I know that you have amazing knowledge and experience to share with my listeners, and so welcome. Wow, thank you very thanks. much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Excellent. Okay, so as you know, the way we start our show is with a little bit of 411. So we're going to start with Amanda. Amanda, if you can give us just a little bit how you got started in purebred dogs. I know this was a family thing for you. Kind of what brought you to and kept you in Manchester Terriers? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, it's kind of a family love affair for us as far as toy Manchesters go. Our very first Manchester arrived at our house when I was about six. Our old toy poodle had died and my grandparents brought us a present. <laughs> my parents had this little black and tan dog for about three days before they even knew what breed it was. <laughs> well, that's a stretch, right? From poodle to Manchester, right? From hair to no it hair was. to all that. It was a little weird. Well, <laughs> you know, my grandfather's dentist bred them oh. and he had a puppy and that's how things rolled back then. Yeah. As it turned out, a neighbor showed her dog and she encouraged my parents to take an interest in that. And they did. And, you know, it's kind of funny how we arrive at becoming established breeders and looking back at where we started, because the very first dog that my parents ever showed, actually, they purchased from the newspaper for $50. I mean, he went on to be a Best in Show winner. He went to the U.S. National and was Best of Winners and Best of Opposite Sex Other Classes. 
And that really just inspired a great interest in dog shows in them. And I was lucky enough to inherit that and to have been able to be part of a great breeding program for, well, I guess that's almost 35 years ago. Right. So, Dawn, I mean, the first time I ever heard of such a thing as a Krillian bear dog, <laughs> it was with your kennel name attached to it. So talk to us a little bit about this breed and your involvement with it up there in Canada. Well, the breed had been known in Canada, albeit very not much, for a few years before I became involved. And my big involvement in dogs like Amanda, I had started with my father gave me a miniature poodle that he had purchased from a pet store. And that was when I was a very, very little girl. I didn't grow up with dogs. I didn't come from a dog family, but I started, believe it or not, with American pit bull terriers when I was 18 and English bull terriers. And that was my very first actually Canadian champion was a tricolor English bull terrier, which a lot of people don't know. No idea. (laughs) (laughs) But I was dating a guy who wanted something with hair, Mm. and I was looking through a dog book. I was working as an emergency vet tech and, you know, trying to find something with hair, and I found the bear dog, which in this particular dog book alluded to being Russian. Now, I'm half Russian. You know, my mom was Russian, Mm. and so I'm looking at this and thinking, yeah, this is pretty cool. You know, I'll get one of these, and this was a kennel in Montana, which turned out to be a rather notorious puppy mill, but I didn't know that. Right. So drive down, get three puppies, drive them back to Canada, find out that the breed is not Russian, split up with the boyfriend, get stuck with the dog, (laughs) end up going to a sanction match by accident, run into a fellow Canadian dog person, Karen Chance, now Karen Day, who introduced me to dogs and it was a whole new world that just basically kind of got dumped in my lap all at once. Found out that the Karelian was not a Russian breed, it was actually Finnish. Got my first dog from Denmark and then it all kind of snowballed from there. You know, computers were in their infancy. Right. I put a link out on Rec Pets Dogs, if anybody remembers that from the old <laughs> DOS days. Yes. Yeah. And said, Hi, my name is Dawn and I have a Karelian bear dog. Has anybody out there got any? And it was picked up by a woman in Finland who said, yes, my name is Tina Laukinen. My parents exported dogs from Finland to Canada in the 60s. Where do you live? Wow. And it took off like a rip roar from there. A few months later, I was on a plane to Finland and that's all she wrote. It's been full steam ahead ever since. That is amazing. I really think what is important or what kind of strikes me in this conversation is you know, the dog out of the newspaper that went winner's dog at the national and the dog from the puppy mill that started what is now, I mean, not himself, but you know, your passion. Yeah. And I think that we as dog breeders have lost touch with the ability to reach out to the general public. Yeah. And every time I hear these stories, I am reminded of that. Well, you know, my mom often said something that I found really interesting. She said two things. One was that she was really committed to keeping the price that she charged for her dogs in a reasonable range Mm -hmm. because she knew that the places that she wanted her puppies to go to were family homes. Mm -hmm. And she had four kids. So she knew that when you have four kids and you're a busy family, you don't have three or four or five grand laying around to buy a dog. 
Right. So that was number one. The other thing that she said that I always thought was really kind of an insightful comment was as we became more and more successful and would have people coming and asking about buying show dogs, she would always make a very concerted effort and taught me very much to look at the quality of the home over the quality of the opportunity. Because Mm -hmm. what she said was really and truly being a prominent, successful breeder, it would be very easy to say, I wouldn't sell a dog to the me of 20 years ago. Right. And Dawn, speak to that because to me, it absolutely mimics what my mom said, right? Like I grew up in the same sort of situation that you describe, Amanda, and my mom would sell dogs. It would make my head spin off my body, right? I'm a professional handler. She's got these beautiful puppies. And I'm like, oh, where's this one going that I see having a specialist career? She's like, oh, it's going to this lovely family that's been waiting for a year. And I'm like, is it ever going to be shown? She's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) For me, it's somewhat different because I have a breed that historically is very tough, is very single-minded, single-purpose. And until a few years ago, actually more than a few years ago, I guess now, the Finns would not export the bear dog to countries that did not officially recognize it. And that was why you didn't see any of them going to the U.S. Mm -hmm. Now, at one time, for quite a number of years, I was the liaison between people looking to buy the dogs in North America and the Finnish parent organization. And so if somebody wanted to purchase a dog from Finland directly, they would be screened through me. Now that has long since kind of gone by the by and dogs have come out of Finland from various other countries and been kind of sold willy nilly because people see these black and white dogs that allegedly chase bears and are the all time protector of the universe, you know, so Mm -hmm. anybody that sees a black and white dog with a curly tail and a prick ear assumes it's a Corellian most of the time especially the ones coming out of shelters, which the shelters all designate them. Oh, this is a bear dog or a bear dog mix, which it has aged me prematurely. That's about all I'll say to that. That's a whole nother conversation about rescue, right? Right. But as far as selling them, you know, again, I'm looking for homes that have a little different purpose. I have a contract that stipulates if somebody buys a dog as a show prospect, that I will guarantee that I will show it and I will do everything in my power to finish it. And that usually... People either say, well, yes, that's what I want, or no, that's what I don't want. And so that gives me a tiny bit of control over where the good ones go. I don't breed often enough to have waves of dogs of that caliber. And so I'm more interested in seeing if a dog is going to be, I mean, I would rather see a dog in a good hunting home than a dog in a good show home, to be perfectly honest. Right. Well, and whether it's companion or in your case, hunting, in my case, hunting, the same thing. Right. You know, I think it makes it hard sometimes. The people are out there, oh, I'm going to run up records. I'm like, how about if we just have them in great homes? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. And I'm quite happy to say, listen, if you can give my dog a good home and you can stay in touch and you can tell me what's going on, then that makes me very happy. Because most people come to me and the first thing out of their mouths is, oh, I don't want to show the dog. I just want a pet. And my reply is, I breed them all as pets. It's what you do with them after the fact that makes them what they are. Correct. Every dog I breed gets the same initial treatment. There's no hierarchy of effect here is how I, you know, oh, well, you're just a pet puppy, so I'm not going to feed you today kind of thing, you know. (laughs) They all get treated exactly the same. 
Right. And we'll see what happens down the line with them. Absolutely. Amanda, one of the things, and I'm going to ask both of you guys this, we're dealing with, in both of your guys' cases, very low number breeds, not just that they're not entered at the dog show. There's just not very many of them. So, Amanda, can you talk a little bit about Manchester's toy and standard, but the breed as a whole, the variety as a whole, in terms of numerically and what people are doing and some of the struggles you face? You were talking about it when we were messaging on this that I thought were really, really fascinating insights. Well, I mean, we have an interesting setup in our breed. You know, it is one breed with two varieties. So the toy and the standard Manchester are both registered together as Manchester Terriers in group four. Similar to Poodle, all of the varieties are registered together. So it's a little bit difficult to put your finger on exactly how many toys are bred or how many standards are bred in one of the year. I don't have the numbers for last year, but, you know, ballpark we're looking at certainly fewer than 400, and there have been years when there's fewer than 300. And is that worldwide or is that just North America? That would be in North America. Okay. The difficulty that we face is that outside of North America, they are two separate breeds. Right. So there's, you know, really long and complicated history as to why that came about. Mm-hmm. The Coles Notes version would be that when we got to mid-20th century, there were not enough standard Manchester Terriers existent for them to continue as a breed. So the American Kennel Club actually approached the American Toy Manchester Terrier Club and asked them to merge the two different breeds into one in order to save the standard Manchester essentially from extinction. Wow. And so we've continued with that breed structure here in North America, which really is a reflection of the real history of the breed. Mm -hmm. But in the rest of the world, they actually exist as two separate breeds. We have the Manchester Terrier and the English Toy Terrier. And in FCI countries or in the UK, for example, the idea that you might breed a Manchester Terrier and an English Toy Terrier to one another would be about as foreign as if I suggested that Dawn breed her Corellians and her Boo Hunts. Right. No, <laughs> no. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we have, over the years, I think, done a good job of protecting the diversity that we have of choices. Mm-hmm. So we are able here in North America to import English Toy Terriers and register them as Manchester Terriers so that they can be used in a Toy Manchester breeding program. Okay. We can also import regular Manchester mm-hmm. Terrier. Most FCI countries, I am only aware of one that won't, will allow toy and standard Manchesters to be exported and registered as appropriate. Okay. Which was a bit of a struggle because, of course, the registration paper says Manchester Terrier. So mm-hmm. when you're trying to import it and say, no, it's really an English toy Terrier, sometimes that requires a bit of explanation. Right. But all of that to say that Because we've been able to maintain this breed structure here in North America and also access the other populations around the world, we do have an opportunity, if breeders choose to do that, to access some diversity in genetic material via populations that were largely developed separately for many decades. It's an often discussed issue in Manchester. You know, there's been various times over the years that there's been a suggestion that the toy and standard Manchester need to be split again. There's complaints about intervariety breeding or what we call ring crossing, where, you know, if a toy Manchester becomes too large and it moves up and is shown as a standard Manchester. So it's not something that's without some ongoing discussion and sometimes disagreement, but 
strictly from a gene pool perspective, it allows us to maximize. That's what I was just going to say. You've got to be able to access some of that genetic material if you're going to be able to keep the breed going, I would think. I think it's a good practice to keep your options open. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I don't choose to breed to a standard Manchester. Mm -hmm. Maybe I do. You know, one of the things I personally really hold as a personal strong belief when it comes to breeding is that diversity of opinion and action within our breeds is what really protects the diversity in our breeds. Mm -hmm. So all of that to say that the fact that I'm doing what I think is right and you're doing what you think is right is what's important. It doesn't matter if those are the same things. In fact, it's probably more important if we're all doing different things. Right. Being able to accept that there's a thousand ways to skin a cat, mm-hmm. for lack of a better example, is, <laughs> is a really important thing when you're working in a rare breed. You have to appreciate the fact that there is more than one road that can be traveled. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. So, hey, crew. New year, new decade. Let's have some new Pure Dog Talk promos while we're at it, shall we? All right. Our patrons group continues to grow and thrive. It's like the NPR of dogdom. It's so cool. And Pure Dog Talk offers you, my loyal listeners, an opportunity to get in on the fun. Pure Dog Talk patrons are invited to join a closed Facebook chat group just for you. And I promise you, no drama mamas, no keyboard warriors, just fabulous, supportive, pure dog talk fans. That's it. Each month, I pick a photo submitted by our patrons group to be the cover image on the Facebook page. You guys have seen it. And anybody with a quick question gets immediate feedback from moi personally, as well as input from the array of patron group members. Pretty fun. The patrons group also gets first dibs on podcast topic suggestions. So if you have something you want to hear about, that's a good way to do it. And to celebrate the new year, I'm adding a whole new technological challenge to my life. Oh my God. I will be hosting Facebook live discussions for patrons only on the final Monday of each month from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific time zone. Y'all join us from wherever you are, but that's when they'll be. Just a few of our planned topics of conversation include advertising on a shoestring budget. (laughs) Yeah, trust me, we can talk about that. Campaigning a special just for runner handlers. Problem solving the stack. Tricks of the trade for grooming like what products do I like or anybody else like, open mic Q&As, all that kind of stuff. What you guys need to know is that the generosity of Pure Dog Talks patrons is literally what keeps the MP3s running here. The money is set aside exclusively for overhead and operational expenses. That's it. Now, I'm incredibly grateful to our corporate sponsors. You have no idea. They have the dedication to purebred dogs and the resources to ensure that Pure Dog Talk remains a powerful voice for purebred dogs. That you guys, y'all believed in this mission and you've supported it from the beginning. You are the heart and soul of my crusade to provide all purebred dog lovers a constantly growing, 
challenging treasure trove of knowledge in a 21st century format. Like our own lunch. So just click the Be My Patron on Podbean button on the website. It's quick, it's easy, it's secure. And I hope to see all of you on the next Facebook Live chat. I think that's really, really valuable. Again, with a background in rare breeds, Clumber Spaniels, the same sort of thing. I mean, Clumber Spaniels, super low numbers. You have to be able to have that person that has never bred into one particular popular line or what have you in order to have some basis to clear your health if you need it, for example. One of the things that I find really interesting, I had a discussion with someone else Don, I'm interested if it's the same in your breed. But if we look back, one of the advantages of having been around for a really long time is that you know who everyone is and you know who likes who and who doesn't like who and all of the, you know, where all the skeletons are in everybody's closet. Right. One of the things that I have found most interesting is looking back over two or three or more decades that you're always going to have popular lines. You're going to have popular sires and there's going to be dogs that come in and out of fashion from different lines. But when push comes to shove and you've bred yourself into a corner or there's just a lack of diversity because everyone has used the same dog, Mm -hmm. the places that you end up going are often places that were created out of a rift, a fight, yes, you know, a big hatred. Yes. Breeder X despises Breeder Y. Right. And so Breeder X would never have anything of Breeder Y's in her line, et cetera, et cetera. And... Not that I would ever encourage it because I think getting along is also really important. But when you look 20 years down the road and everyone who has Breeder Y's dogs are now going to Breeder X's line because that's where the diversity is. Right. And Don, you can speak to this too, because I think, again, the Curly and Bear Dog, you've really got limited numbers and particularly locally. How are they worldwide? Also low? No. In the Nordic countries, I haven't looked at what the Finnish registrations are like in the last couple of years. Up until I would say 2015, thereabouts, the bear dog was always in like the top 10 or at the very top 20. Nice. Well, because we're talking countries with an entirely different societal MO to -hmm. North America. I mean, I like to joke that every Finn is born with a cell phone in one hand and a rifle in the other. (laughs) And every Finn hunts. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. Every, right. uh, the women hunt birds, the guys hunt right. Every fin I know shoots something. And it's to put meat on the table. It's their way of life. Right. It's what they do. The Swedes aren't much different, neither are the Norwegians. So this is a breed that was developed for a very specific purpose. And it was to hunt big game. You had Finnish spits and Finnish hounds for hares and for birds and marten, things like that. Mm -hmm. You had bear dogs for moose and bear, and that's all they did. So now we come along into, you know, progress marches on, and now we've got dogs that are expected to do more things. Mm -hmm. We have governments that are saying, no, 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 you know, hunting is bad. Right. You're a horrible person if you hunt. We have, especially in North America, that way of thinking where, Mm -hmm. oh my God, how could you actually shoot an animal? Well, quite easily, actually. (laughs) Look at my freezer. And guess what? We have a pandemic and having food in your freezer is going to be really helpful. You're going to be very popular very soon. (laughs) 
I'm quite happy. I have absolutely no issues whatsoever. Come and try and take it away because people <laughs> like me that have full freezers also argue about what's the best shotgun to put in our trucks, right? So right. <laughs> it's a whole different methodology. And once upon a time in a land not so far away, breeding was very strictly regulated in these breeds mm. and culling was done and bloodlines were kept very, very clean because the thought of mixing breeds and sullying different bloodlines, you know, was heresy. Mm. And you have to remember the Corellian is a very new breed. I mean, it came sort of literally out of the woods in the 40s after post-war. They had mm. just started becoming a fixed type prior to World War II. And after the war was over, the Finns said, okay, we'll take a pick here. We've got 60 dogs mm-hmm. that we want to bring this breed back from the brink with. And we're going to use, I think it was 42 or 43 of them to create the Corellian bear dog. And that's what our nucleus was. And this was a breed, I would tell you, I tell people in North America, you wouldn't have wanted the original Corellian. Right. There's no way, you know, because if you weren't the owner, if you weren't the handler, write your will and testament right now. They were a lot more dog. (laughs) They were a lot more dog. And I show this in my educational PowerPoints. You know, I said, there's a reason that the Finnish standard still has a line that says great fighting spirit. That's in the Canadian standard as well. Now, they've removed it from the anglicized FCI version. But it wasn't that long ago that whenever I would show these dogs in Finland, the old judges would bring the boys out and spar them. And if they didn't turn on a dime, Mm. they were excused. Interesting. That's what you wanted. You wanted this. You have a dog the size of a Siberian Husky. And this dog was supposed to go down a den after a bear in the winter and bring it out so the hunter could pike it. Yeah, yeah. You know, that takes a dog with a big set of cojones. Yeah. To me, so much of what these rare breeds represent is a snapshot in time. This is living history. Both the Manchester, the Corellian Bear Dog, and we're going to talk a little bit here in a minute about the Boo Hunt. I think they just very specifically represent a place and a people and a culture that if we lose that, we've lost a piece of history. But I'll tell you one thing, and I have been criticized. Amanda's heard me use this saying before, (laughs) but in my world, you must love the breed more than the dog. And people lose their minds when I say that, because Mm. how can you not love your dog? I'm not saying don't love your dog, Mm. but if you don't have your breed, you don't have your dog. And I would quite honestly prefer to see the bear dog I know and that I was mentored through and imported and started breeding. I would quite honestly rather see that dog quietly disappear than be turned into something else that doesn't even begin to resemble what it used to be. Right. Wow. That's interesting. We had a whole article on that, I think, back when we were doing Mm -hmm. that. I used to write a column for Dogs in Review called The Think Tank. Yes. And Don very kindly was one of my yes. great thinkers. Yeah. Um, and we actually did an article on, you know, the idea that. of preservation um, versus popularity. Right. And Don had said that at the time, and I have really great respect for the fact that she's willing to hold a strong position like that. Mm-hmm. I think personally for me, you know, I'm coming from a different breed that doesn't have a strong working background. Mm-hmm. So I actually would like to see breeders in my breed, you know, really look at breed priorities and work towards making some small improvements 
that would make them, you know, an easier dog to have in a home environment if that's what is required in order for them to be more successful. Right. Dick Mean used to talk about the importance of dogs as a living museum. Yes. And that Mm -hmm. to me is such a powerful visual. You know, our dogs teach us about where we have been. Yes. And we learn a lot about where we're going, I think, through those lessons. So I'd like my breed to continue in whatever shape it needs to be (laughs) in order to still be here 100 years from now. Right. And I love this type of conversation. This is something I've just kind of started building out this concept on the podcast of having two people with not necessarily complimentary, you know, agreeing on everything ideas, because there is a range of discussion, right? And, you know, I look at the German wire hair pointer, and much like the dogs from Finland, the German wire hair pointer that came over here in the 40s is a dog that you would be hard pressed to own in the United States today. Yeah, It's a very, very tough dog. I mean, I was very, very lucky, I think. And this is maybe what breaks my heart to see where my breed is headed now. Because I was on the crest of the last wave of great dogs. Mm. And I'm not talking about my own. I'm talking Mm. about dogs from Finland. And I saw the best. And so I have that in my head of what they were. The greatest dog in our breed, two of them, but the greatest dog in our breed really was bred in Finland in the mid-50s. And I heard stories from people who saw this dog in shows in the early 60s. And one of the most profound things I ever heard was from a judge, Maria Talvitia. You would probably know her, Amanda, from Finland. And she told me once, she said, when that dog walked in a show building, you did not have to know that he had arrived because the entire atmosphere in the building would change. Mm. She said it was like a current of electricity that went through every dog in the building. When that dog stepped in the building, people knew, dogs knew. Mm. And I've seen that effect in my breed in the 90s and early part of 2000 and so on. And that's lacking today. Mm. And so for me, if I can't have that back, then my breed has just become a shadow of what it was. Okay. I'm not even going to let you go more because that's just a really powerful observation for people to chew on and think about and balance against Amanda's commentary. So now talk to us about Boo Huns because this is a new (laughs) breed for you, right? And in a different direction. And we don't have a huge amount of time, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of talk about that piece and why you've added it, because I think there's a segue here. (laughs) I can do it in 30 seconds, honestly, because they're not really that new for me. As a breeder, yes, but I've been playing around with them since 1993. Mm. So they've been in around my house and everything. And if the bear dogs are the demons, then the boohoons are the angels. And everybody should have one, like Amanda said earlier. Everybody should have a boohoon. And yes, they are a low number breed numerically. Yes, their numbers are very low overseas, and they're basically hanging on by their toenails. But what I am seeing is a resurgence of breeders in the U.S. When the breed was recognized in the States, dear God, they were in sad shape. But Mm. breeders have turned it around. They've made great strides. The AKC has the best breed standard in the world, in my opinion, for the breed. And people are making a very concerted effort. The Brits are doing a great job. So this is a breed that is climbing back up. And this is a breed that, in my opinion, is in good shape to go forward Mm -hmm. because they're in a lot of good hands. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. 
And I think interesting to me, you talk about the demon versus the angel. Yeah. And I think that just sort of a 40,000 feet view, right? Look at the breeds that are growing in popularity versus fading in popularity. There's some that are more difficult to manage grooming wise, but there's a lot that are difficult to manage temperament wise. And it is a struggle. And I speak as someone in wire hair pointers that has worked with that breed to try and maintain some of its, or at least a percentage of its stand up without sacrificing its sensibility and still making it a dog that can live in the average household. And trust me when I tell you that's a balancing act. <laughs> yeah. I think the only drawback with the Boohund, and I mean the only drawback, is that they are so big hearted and they are so mm. generous with themselves mm. that it's easy to crush them. Aww. And people have to be aware of that. Yeah. Because they will look at you and honestly, I mean, I hate to anthropomorphize, but it's like, what can I do? How can I do it better? If I did mm. something wrong and you've punished me, it was all my fault. It had to be all my fault. How can I fix that? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Sweet. But they're amazing dogs. Amanda, you got to get one. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you don't have to convince me. I think they're great. Okay, ladies, this has been absolutely fascinating. I could quite literally sit here and visit with you for hours. <laughs> and I appreciate your time tremendously. In closing, any brief encouragement, suggestion, advice for people who are interested in acquiring one or another of your rare breeds, Don, go. Do your homework because the internet is rife with incorrect information as we messaged earlier. Mm -hmm. The bear dog is a hunting dog. Here's a website for you, spj.fi, SF as in Frank, I as in Italy. And that is the homepage for my breed in Finland. Check it out. And we will put a link for that in the blog post for people that are interested in learning more about the Curly and Bear Dog. Perfect. Amanda? I have always said this, and I truly believe it in my heart. I think that every 15-year-old girl in the world needs a Manchester. Mm. Because there is not a breed. I'm sure everyone thinks that their breed does. <laughs> They've never had a Manchester. <laughs> There's not a breed that lives more for their people. They are truly devoted. You know, I've just seen it over and over and over mm -hmm. again. They love you with their entire being. And my greatest wish is for everyone to be able to experience that kind of love in their life. I think that we have an ability to help one another. So if you are thinking of getting a smaller dog, Think about a Manchester. They really are easy keepers. There's not anything bad about them. I'm sure there are, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I've shown just, them. They bark. Come on, Amanda. <laughs> yeah. You know, it sounds so cliche to say it. When I listen to myself saying it out loud, it sounds silly. But this breed has brought a lot of joy and wonder into my life and into my family's life. And, you know, I would hate to see that disappear. So I do Absolutely. hope that people will consider getting one, consider breeding one, mm -hmm. consider helping to preserve a piece of our history. Absolutely. Well, and I was very sad that you were not at the National this last year when I did my roundtable. <laughs> and that's why you got to be on this call, too, because I just really, <laughs> I'm like, no, I need Amanda Kelly in my life. <laughs> I was actually just thinking, we can't be done. I have like 12 more points written down here. <laughs> 
Well, here's the great part. There is a blog post that goes with every podcast episode. Listeners, you know to go read that on your phone, read that on your computer. Amanda, you will send us all kinds of fabulous stuff that we will include in the blog post. We'll have photos and all kinds of great stuff. So I really, I do appreciate you both tremendously. Hey, anytime that I get to kind of rant about my bear dogs is a good day. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 